Hi, everybody. This is Devin and Sage welcoming Bernard Hoffman, Caleb Hoffman. Uh, it's your middle name, I understand. Welcome. Thank you very much for being, being with me, with us. Um, and uh, we've been talking off the camera just before we start. I guess that when I get excited, my, my voice goes up like two octaves. So I'm just going to talk like this for the right now. No. Um, I'd like to say thank you for being here. And uh, I want to uh, prompt you again about what we were just talking about about where you are in the world, what you're doing, and what you're, what you're learning about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Cool, well thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm really, really stoked to actually be um, in, 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 <laughs> in communion with you and, and conversing about these things. I'm really excited to see what, what all we get into. Um, so currently I am nine months into a year long in resident um, internship at the Permaculture Research Institute of Australia, which is um, northern New South Wales. It's subtropics, um, about an hour inland um, from the Pacific. And it's, it's a really fascinating place. It's a very, very dynamic and, and semi-chaotic place. Um, it's, 66, it's a 66-acre farm. Um, oh, oh, fully fully operational farm we've got milking cows we got beef cows we've got chickens ducks we're getting goats um, we've got a main crop which is like a production like a um kind of your more like csa farmers market sort of like industrial what is garden. what does csa mean um community supported agriculture it's like a co-op based um food 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 service okay sure this rain this this just picked up about an hour ago and it just won't stop it's it's awesome to hear are you able to take uh an indiscriminate amount of time uh you know when when you choose or or what's your schedule like out of curiosity um so as stated <laughs> As stated, the the agreed the agreed upon um, the agreed upon work schedule and requirements is five hours daily. So we go from twelve, we go from seven to twelve. Um, I don't think I've ever actually worked a five-hour day. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've done it on a handful of times. Um, that is to reality, say, you've worked hard. you've worked you've worked less than that, or worked more than that every day. Oh, far more. Yeah, far okay, more. Sure, for sure, sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, some days I've worked less than that. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, definitely, some days I have worked less than that. When I have other assignments on, or I've got a, a project going where I'm doing consultation work, I definitely have the the luxury of taking that step back and then you know, kind of running my own enterprise as, as needed. Um, but it's a farm, you know. It it takes all hours of the day. Um, you know, I was out there from seven to seven today, just getting projects done. Um, you know, the unrelenting tasks of, of infrastructure on a farm like this. Um, it's very educational. It's very edgy your seat. As far as me coming from, uh, say, a suburban background, you know, my grandfather was a farmer, but I, I grew up, you know, I grew up in the gridlock, you know. Where were you born um, and raised? So, actually born in San Diego, but 
was there for a handful of months. Um, spent eight years in Tennessee, and then in 2000, actually, uh, my my family moved to South Dakota, and we were in South Dakota. I was in South Dakota from 2001 to 2011, and then um, I went straight from high school um, to college for two weeks. Could see straight through that pyramid scheme. Um, had zero desire and just moved to the mountains. So I moved to Tahoe. Um, and I was in Tahoe from 2011 to 2017. And so you've been involved with uh, farming for how long? So I've been studying agriculture um, for about five and some, five, a little over five years now. Um, like as, as a, as a extremely passionate hobby at first, and then a downright, um, you know, endeavor after, after, after a couple of years, I really buckled down, made it a full-time commitment to, um, start up my own consultations, um, do eco, <laughs> eco, I hate that word, um, do, um, do do you know eco-friendly landscaping I or i right. do stone, buzz, I do stone yeah. oh man yeah yeah it's the worst um and then i also do i also do masonry work uh dry 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 stack masonry work for landscaping for painting walls okay. so that's what you're referring to masonry and what else when you talk about your consultation uh business oh wow um yeah way way more than that <laughs> So I go, I go through, so using the permaculture design framework um, and using a lot of um, for, for those of us, for, to, not to interrupt you, I apologize, but for those of us like myself who are not initiated, can you, can you just give us a, a bird's eye view of what permaculture means? Yeah, for sure. Um, this is a really fun, this is a really fun question to answer because if I can do it in one sentence, and it's smooth. I'm like, I'm above the moon because it's a very deep, it's a very nuanced, it's a very, it's a very diverse um, set of skills, set of knowledge that, that really distills down into applied ecology, um, repackaged indigenous knowledge. But permaculture is a design science. Um, it's a design science based around natural systems, living systems, in which you, say, put in a lot of input up front. Um, for the first five years, it's, it's quite a bit of work. You know, you really are maintaining, you're, you're nursing, you know, you're nursing this life. Um, but after, the, after that first initial big investment, um, you're riding easy. You've got this living system that's really really just building itself outwards for you um so permaculture design is taking all of this knowledge that we gain from observing the natural world and applying it to our own life to realign our consumption our production our you know our our mental our emotional state realigning all of this with the natural world and understanding what is, you know, what is what is maritime law and what is natural law. You know, understanding what is what is the actual basis for our reality, or you know, and 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 figuring out where 
we need to do or where we need to put certain things so that they all co-relate with each other. Because a lot of an ecosystem really is just the diverse connections of different nodal networks. And all those connections, all the placements, all the interactions is really what defines um, an ecosystem. And without, you know, without going to Mars, there's no way to escape the fact that we're living within one. So if we right. start to interact with that, and that's a lot of permaculture design is, is a lot, is a lot of that. Um, so that was, that was a description that took only 20 sentences. So um, I'm getting there. You're, you're slowly synthesizing it uh, more and more fully into the, into the gold inside of the tin or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I feel you. Well, how interesting. So, I mean, I've, I've heard of systems that integrate like, you know, fishing ponds and gray water with, you know, chickens and uh, movable chicken coops. And then, you know, try, trying to have more and more of the, of the pieces, you know, interacting uh, holistically with, with all the other pieces. Is that, is that kind of part of the puzzle? Yeah, that's definitely one of the, one of the, one of the main parts of the puzzle there is those connections. Um, is big but of course you have your core your your core focus which is your water you know your water your infrastructure like these these basic tenets of society of community um and it's sorting those out in a way that they either have the smallest amount of impact possible um which is like the like the pinnacle for the quote unquote sustainability movement, which is this like slow freezing of our actions until we're not a, a leech, which is, it's, it's, it's part of that mental disbalance we have. When in reality, a lot of what permaculture design does and a lot of that, that um, interaction that we're doing when we're kind of melding these designs and figuring out what, works where and how to set this up so it's fully optimized in alignment with nature is you're actually taking the step towards past sustainability towards regeneration and you start talking about you know building things that do more good instead of less bad which That's is wonderful. like that shit. as soon as you realize that like instead of going more passively until I'm not hurting anything, I can actually be using this God-given energy, like this this passion and this enthusiasm and actually like produce more, you know? Is so what you're seeing- That's one of the- I'm sorry, is, is what you're seeing on the farm that you're participating on something that is, pun intended, taking root elsewhere? Is this, is this a larger movement? Are you seeing these kinds of regenerative practices celebrated in the larger community? Are you plugging into the larger community? Is this something that you can see? Be, I'm gonna ask you about 15 questions in one real quick. Is this, is this <laughs> something that you can see making a difference, you know, so to speak, as trite as that is now? Because uh, just to give you a um, framework for why I, I wanna come at you this way, as you know, a person who still lives in a, in a city, not a, not a super dense city, we, we're in rural uh, central Oregon now, we live in Bend, which is nice, but uh, 
it's very clear to anybody, in my opinion, that looks at the way that we've structured societies, uh, save like some really, uh, uh, how would you say, um, conscious places. I mean, again, that's kind of a tainted word, like, like Switzerland. I think Switzerland's got it right in the way that they raise cattle and so forth. But uh, it's just, it's off in the way that we concentrate things. We dam up all the rivers. We, we try to get wealth in the smallest packages possible, right? And in, in giant metal towers. And, and we, you know, there, there's, there's this philosophy that I think is a, is a um, dead end that it seems like in your philosophy of permaculture and your practice of these, of these ways of working with the land, that's not passive. And yet it, it, it adds to the ability of the land to, to give us what we need to survive and thrive itself. Is this something that you see catching on? And is this the answer to the way in which I would argue the West is kind of really, really screwing up with, with industrial agriculture, industrial, um, uh, you know, food, food, uh, um, creation and, 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 uh, and, and cattle and, and chicken and stuff with, with these, these, um, you know, factory farm kind of, uh, operations. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm like, I'm an eternal optimist to a degree. So, so I'll try not to fluff it up too much. I, I definitely can see the traction. I, I can see, I can see certain things moving. Um, I can see certain projects starting where, where people who hold the privilege of being able to capitalize these certain regenerative projects are, are starting to get things moving. Um, whether, whether it's truly yet, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's hard not to get railroad tracked on this sort of stuff because sometimes I just go straight into, I like, I just start pulling instantly out. I just keep like my perspective of the issue just keeps like, all right, so I could explain it like this, but really this is the bubble that I should be trying to get to. So let me get to that. But no, wait, there's another even, there's sure. even another layer to that. So I, I try not to just go running off in one direction. So I'll, I'll rein myself in. Um yeah, absolutely is gaining traction. Um, if only just for our current crisis, p more people are gardening. More people are, are seeing the fragility of our industrial complex. Um, like it's, it's, it's very clear, it has became very clear. And that's the beautiful thing. I love, I love that the, the root Latin of apocalypse means the lifting of the veil that's all that's all the word apocalypse is that's that's its root that is what it means and that's what to a degree we're going through currently the veil is being lifted you know the fragility within our systems is just bringing that skirt up and everybody's getting the sideshow currently like we're seeing the bits for what they are and it's quite clear to a degree that not a lot of people are arguing about right. these things, you know, and, and potentially a lot of people are, are a bit more shooken up than they typically would be. Um, so that in of itself is being a huge catalyst currently. I, I, I've had so many people and of close friends of mine 
friends, family come to me in the past few months and just start asking me the questions that I keep telling them they should all start asking me. You know, like I've been texting people who I love and know dearly and saying, hey, have you started your seedlings yet? You know, I've been a bit more outgoing, which I already am very outgoing with this stuff, but I, I've shifted into overdrive. And that's like, the beautiful thing about being a natural system myself is it, it was like we find homeostasis in our own in our own time like we pushed back whenever we feel pushed upon you know right. some, there's some hopefully or, or right right or or i think a lot of neuroses or or mental and physical challenges happen when a person doesn't do that effectively right you 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 push yeah. poison into into a into a piece of land without giving it a place to go, it's going to cause a bigger and bigger problem. But if that's a real resilient and well-loved, I mean, to make a metaphor, right? Piece of land and you give it a little insult, it, it won't do so much damage. So I, I think one of the reasons I resonate so much with where you're coming from is I recognize my own you know, natural system as well. And I think that honoring that fact is a way of finding peace, peace of mind, right? And, and physical fitness, and uh, I think it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing to have dedicated yourself to a set of practices and, and, a, and a body of knowledge that is really needed nowadays. You know, I think to speak to what you were talking about, how we're lifting the veil right now, it's, it's really human labor on which the whole of the economy is built. And yet it seems like we all are taught to believe that it resides, the power of our economy in, you know, towers of wealth and, and, and individual people of power. And when we look to those people, they can't do anything, right? It's, it's, the, it's the people, it's the, it's, the, it's the boots on the ground, it's the, you know, the grass in the field. And so, Is it going to take, uh, you know, a, a, a giant catastrophe precipitated by something like this COVID? Is it going to take, are we at rock bottom enough to take seriously the tenets of permaculture and sustainable and regenerative farming now? Or do we need to go deeper into chaos and distress to break out of the suburban Walmart lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, so there's of course, there's of course those getting with it right now that their, their cognitive dissonance was just, just shattered as soon, as soon, as soon as, as soon as the dots became clear, they connected them. And there, there's some people who are so wholly reliant or un, unable to mentally decolonize their brain you know they're, they're not able to they're not able to escape these colonial structures or they benefit from these colonial structures so they're like well why would i ever give this up this feeds me or this you know this this clothes me or this gives me my lamborghini or you know there's there's these really strong deep connections what have you gotten from what you've given your time and energy to over the last few years that has quelled the material urges, that has 
supplanted the, the colonization of your mind, as you put it? Um, a lot of, I mean, a lot of, a lot of it is just the, the genuine satisfaction of ecological knowledge. Like genuinely knowing, gen, genuinely knowing um, what, what it means to be a human like what 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 was done for you know tens of thousands of years that that made us the keystone species of this planet and and understanding that to truly to truly um be at peace we we must we must be of land like that that for me is really really helped um and of course my own my own journey into a bit of that bit of the eastern wisdom and um a lot of my own focus on intuition a lot of which had was spurred on by skiing um i feel you there because i was never classically trained snowboard i never you know never took you know started started snowboarding when i was 18 because of a job i got a job making snow i'm like oh what's this i'm gonna try it um and just from spending the time on the hill and then after a while trusting my my gut and 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 knowing the the physics of the game that uh, you know i i ended out to be a you know, a relatively gnarly telemark skier, like something that, that most people would consider to be this relatively difficult sport. I have found my ease sure. within it using intuition. And you so know, you're, and you're making the, you're making the, the, the analog to your experience of, of working with the land in the same way that, the, that you're, 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 you're working within your intuition. Um, not at all times, but it definitely, it definitely sits, it definitely sits right in the back of your mind for a lot of these things. Cause there is a lot of learning going on. So there's a lot of analysis. There's a lot of this, a lot of this, you know, right brain jibber jabber of like, well, this is the possible outcome from this. And this is the possible outcome from that. And if we do this, this will happen. If we don't do this, that will happen. You know, and, and and trying to make sense, trying trying to sit down with my sense making ability and, and actually figure out the situation. Um, but going into every single one of those situations, I've made my snap instant decision. I've gone with I you know I've thought my instinctual thought, and then still went and did the rigmarole. And and sixty you know sixty seven point eight percent of the time that instinct's been fairly on. It was not that good of a percentage, but <laughs> six, six, seven, eight. <laughs> but, I like that. Yeah, it's you know, there's this definite definite value there, and especially the more the more research into the gut and the vega nerve and all these 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 truly truly like fascinating and empowering bits of ecological knowledge of our own physiology that empowers you to rely on your instinct and to understand the power of your gut and then the power of your microbiome and you know the the reason for protecting that or enhancing it with 
with, you know, good soil management and, and fermentation and, you know, and treating your, you know, treating your gut like the world's most important compost pile, which is a bit of ecological knowledge you can gain that you can translate into your own human health. I like that. Can I just make a uh, observation that I think is hilarious? We've got our respective, like, um, animal daemons that represent the mental state surrounding the two respective lifestyles. You've got a big, mature, mellow, relaxed, powerful <laughs> feline, and I've got the fucking puppy mind just wanting to chew on anything immediately and just like, <laughs> and so I think that that's a funny, a funny representation of the respective um, worldviews that you know we're we're uh, we're we're you know wading into. Um, so I I want to get some just like facts out of the way um what outfit are you are you signed on with through through are, through what organization did you find the opportunity to do what you're doing is, is is this something that is open to other people that are listening to this and are excited about about doing something similar uh i want to put that question to you yeah absolutely um so if anybody if anybody has any interest in this sort of stuff um I like I couldn't do enough to encourage people to do it. Um, I mean, traveling to Australia is not a prerequisite. Um, there are tons of either permaculture design courses, you know, unpaid internships. Um, pretty much all it comes down to is finding somebody within your own area who who is either say operating this the similar educational system um and is willing to take you on like as apprenticeship style or internship style um but for me i i um actually did a design course a two-week design course here in 2017 my uh, my partner is australian um so we'll, we'll actually are probably going to be settling down here instead of coming back to the States. Um, so I did a design course here in 2017. Um, went, went back, went back to the States. For oh, you froze for a moment. Bernard, you froze. Can you hear me? Let's see. I'm going to pause the recording. You want, and we are back. All right. Technical difficulties. Be damned. We, yeah. we can we can make it through. So uh, I, I just asked my I just asked my wife because we had traveled to uh, New Zealand a few few years ago. Twenty seventeen. She's got a way better memory than I. And uh, I smoked a lot of pot growing up, so that was not the best thing for my memory development. But that's beside the point. Uh, uh, she told me about an organization that we were familiar with while we were in New Zealand that does something similar uh called woof woofers are you familiar with, yeah. with uh okay so that's that I, i'm i don't know the difference and, and so forth but that's something that's that's offered to people with with little or no experience and knowledge in in the in the in the arena and not something that is like a work um for board kind of kind of deal um is this something that you are looking to go full into moving forward are you are you 
you know, are you going to, you going to buy the farm? Are you going to, are you going to set something up for yourself? Are you, is this something that you are seeing transient or something that you want to make a life's work? So I see this, I see this absolutely as my life's work. Um, I'm definitely hoping to um, not take on this property, um, but take on my own property. Um, I personally, I personally am a, a, a very cold climate human. Um, so I, we're currently looking in the Australian Alps. Um, but I have a really huge desire to do something very similar with the Research Institute of Cold Climate. Australian Research Institute. Um, there's also talks. I'm in talks with a few other Australians um, who are really interested in doing an ecosystem restoration camp, which is a similar format, but more specifically focused on uh, broadacre ecosystem restoration and teaching the techniques for that. You know, of course, a lot of that is is very much overlaid with permaculture and agroforestry and and you know all these all these very similar similar things um but instead of instead of you know walking people through all bits of that stuff we'd just be focusing on how to actually keep trees alive in the wild when to be planting what you should be you know making sure. sure that things are climatically matched, you know, uh, all, all that, uh, all that nuance. I, I really, I personally find a, find a lot of empowerment in spreading that knowledge. Um, my own personal focus being in watershed restoration. Um, that's really where I see one of the biggest shifts that we can do as far as our land management techniques. Um, so that'll be a big part of my educational, educational input um, awesome. for stuff like that. Well, keep us posted on the developments in your personal um, endeavors, because I'd love to support you in any way I can and, and bring awareness to what you're doing and, and uh, you know, um, put, put a, uh, links to, to, to things and so forth. I'm, I'm interested. I want to get a little bit better idea of where you are in space. So my buddy Nick Reimnitz and I traveled to Australia when we were 18, um, around that age, and we flew into Melbourne and, and did a tour up to Cairns. So we did the kind of the whole, the whole Gold Coast. Dude, it was awesome. One of the best trips ever. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we took a bus to Nimbin and I, I've been a surfer for, for many years. And so I got to surf the Gold Coast at Noosa Heads and, and all these different, just unbelievably wonderful places to surf. So where, where are, you said you were uh, up north in New South. So I know Queensland is one of the, the territories on the Gold Coast and New South Wales is also, but I don't know where everything is in relation to each other. So, so can you tell us where, where you are now and then where the Alps are and where you're thinking about, about doing your work? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're about 25 minutes. We're, we're on, we're a ridge away from Nimbin. So we're about 25 minutes away from Nimbin, okay. uh, an hour inland from Byron. Um, okay. So northern New South Wales, um, from the top of, oh no, not our property, from, but you can see the, the, the border ranges, which is the border of Queensland and New South Wales, 
from a vantage point a few ridges away, a ridge and a half away. So that's about where we are as far as Australia is concerned, um, which is like no, is like northern mid coast, east northern mid east coast. That's a stupid amount of words. No, um, I get it. But the gold, the gold coast, they call it. Yeah, yeah, near the near the Gold Coast for sure, for sure. Um, so, and so me then, and my yes, partner. Sir. Yeah, me and Kate, we are currently looking at properties um, near Jindabyne or near the Snowy Mountains. So that's that's like it's actually quite funny because it's very juxtaposed, juxtaposed as far as New South Wales goes. A pretty big state. So where I'm at here in the Shannon, the Shannon Shire, is about an hour away from the northern border and where we're looking at properties is about 15 or 20 minutes away from the southern border um and it's of, cool temperate of new south wales cool. yeah of new south wales so a huge shift goes from subtropical all the way down to cold temperate cool temperate alpine wow. um but i mean as you know australia is huge Yes. You would have known that from driving the East Coast. Australia is... And the vast, 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 vast majority in the, to the 90 percentile, um, I, would, I would imagine, is uh, unpopulated, right? I mean, the, the center of the country is gigantic. And the West Coast uh, is, has a reputation of being wild and untamed. And as far as the surfing community is concerned, it's like a pilgrimage that everybody takes to go and, and see some some big uh, surf, you know, and it's it's very, very dense, uh, sparsely populated. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the trip that I took to Australia. We went to New Zealand twice, but I've only been to Australia once. Yeah. The, the Listening to you talk about the names of the towns, it sounds like Tolkien was uh, influenced uh, for for his, his stories by the, um, you know, Aboriginal, because I can only imagine some of these names were, were kind of uh, Aboriginal words passed down, right? Uh, yeah. You know? Yes, um, some of them definitely are. Yeah. Huh. So I want to kind of get to, because the, where I post, bless you, these, these conversations I've, I've called at the edge of knowledge. And I think one of the virtues of framing this, this, pursuit, if you will, in that way, is it gives me license to push ourselves to where we're not sure where we are. And the way that I want to do that now, if you allow me, is to kind of ask you a question that leads you to kind of what you're currently forming as far as your mental map of the territory that you're in. And so what I ask you is, what is it that you are gaining from this work that you're doing that is transforming you? That's a really, that's a really great question. Um, so what I thought I had a lot of coming into this whole situation was, um, was confidence and knowledge. I thought, I thought I came into this internship in August at the start of my, the start of my year I thought I came in and I, and I did for the most part with a really solid base, but the translation from information 
to workable, usable knowledge um, is a really fascinating and really trying um, transition. And I, I would say the the patience to the patience for triviality <laughs> has really been one one of the big things, um, especially say being on a property um, with a personable uh, amount, uh, like a, like a high personal amount of mechanical knowledge, but not a proper set of tools like stuff like that, where you might have to be improvising or you might have to be fixing things in field, or you might have to just like, you know, be putting out these metaphorical fires as they come up. Um, I think a lot of that's been extremely valuable, um, extremely valuable and, and pretty trying. I wouldn't say anything's made me like want to, give up by any means like it definitely it sparks it sparks the joy that that gives you that fire to keep going in all the situations because there's that palpable value that, that flavor of change that comes along with it um but as far as pushing me i would say I would say what's probably pushed me the most is um, my my climactic ignorance, and which I, I I knew would be coming, but I didn't expect. That's probably been one of the most trying things is having to essentially learn an entire species set for a climate I've never lived in. You know, trying to figure out what the actual ecological interactions are and and what what the ecotones are of, of, of these sort of forests, these say subtropical rainforests, um, when I've, I've came from extremely cold temperate, like continental cold temperate in South Dakota, and you know, maritime cool to cold temperate in, in Northern California. Um, so that's been really trying. Um, I feel like I could probably answer that question a bit better though. I felt a bit waffly. What do you, do you mind rephrasing the question again? In what ways has what you're doing day to day transformed you? <laughs> There's no excuses on a farm. That's probably if I was to sum it up into one sentence right there. That's really what has transformed me because as I'm doing things, as I'm learning, as I'm experimenting, you're seeing, albeit sometimes delayed, and that's where the real, that's really for me, that's where the real wisdom and knowledge comes is from doing something, having to wait a week and a half or two weeks and then figuring out that it's failed and that you have to redo it. <laughs> Or, you know, you've done something and you've had 80% of the data set and you've actioned on it. And then, it, you know, and then it comes to fruition, you know, it comes to fruition real quick and you see that this is now a much bigger issue. Or, or you have to, you know, you, you, you have to, you know, make a bit more sense of the situation. But definitely just putting in the work. Like there's no, there's no excuses on a farm. That's really, that's, for me, that's the biggest thing that I've been picking up.
have you seen that realization catalyze a change inside of you? Yeah, not necessarily a shift, but definitely, definitely a further ignition. Like, I, I find it, and, and it's, you know, of course this is like, this is where I, I love to get into this stuff, and, and some people find it awkward, and I, I, can, I, I know that you won't find this weird at all, but like, being really flush and entirely frank and honest about indiscretions and of, of, you know, of say for me personally, it's my desire to smoke two bowls and lay on a hammock for about four and a half hours, you know, like that is, you know, what, what doesn't sound nice about that? You know what I mean? Sure. And, and when you're, when you're got to hate, I'm, I'm going to hate the fact that I say this, but when you're plugged into the matrix, it's extremely easy. Cause you don't have to spend that time, you know, procuring the soil to grow the food, to prepare the food, to cook the food to, you know, you, you're so disconnected from the actual time it takes to be a human that you can do that. You can just disconnect because you could just go through that drive through and, and sustain yourself for that much longer. So that, that was a rug that I wanted to pull out from underneath myself because I knew that that was one of my thresholds I had to cross. I knew that was one of the limitations that I just had to get out of the way. Um, because I knew as soon as I got myself onto land post this, you know, post this internship that I needed to be boots moving. I needed to be, you know, getting on top of it, getting ahead of it, you know, and, and, and becoming productive. I dig that, man. I just see such a disconnect in the Western world, as I think everybody does that looks at it. There's a great word called Koyaanisqatsi. There's a good uh, movie by the same name. It's like a documentary uh, composed of really brilliant um, cinematography, a lot of time lapses of like Grand Central Station filling up and and spilling out with people, and it kind of and Koyaanisqatsi means life out of balance in in what whatever language, uh, and it sounds like your pursuits are finding balance, and uh, I think it's a thing that demands an investment of time. There's there's some kind of understanding of of the true nature of time. And I find, I find balance uh, in skiing, right, in surfing, um, in relationships, you know, the, 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 the recognition of the present moment as opposed to seeing the present moment as a place to escape from, like, like, you're, like you're talking about, you know, laying on the hammock and kind of letting it all pass us by. And I think that that's something that we need to celebrate more fully. So, I mean, my hat's off to you with, with what you're doing. I, I think it's brilliant to, to to connect with something so uh, so real, um, and that that brings up a, a topic that um, I was talking with John yesterday about. Um, I think the thing that is a real big motivator for me in my life, something that's shaped my my trajectory, 
has been the recognition of the things, the pursuits, the activities that are the most real by my definition. And those are the things like skiing, surfing, and relationships where my perception of the thing doesn't change the thing. You feel me? doesn't matter how I feel about a, a you know, double overhead swell. It's, it is what it is. And it's my ability to interact with it effectively that's going to dictate my level of success. And I think that working with the land obviously falls into that same category of there are existential truths in, in all of those, those words that you use that, that encompass huge amounts of knowledge like agroforestry and permaculture and things that I know very little about, but things that are very real. Right. I mean, the, the, the human pursuit of those bodies of knowledge is secondary to the reality of the things happening. Right. So I guess I want to put that 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 framework to you of. Does that resonate with you, the the idea of the recognition of what is. Extant, which means existent and and true and real underneath, you know, both sub and superordinate to our perceptions. Right. Like. Do you find that to be the case? And does that, does that resonate with you? Is that something that you enjoy? The kind of lack of bullshit? Like, it seems like you're alluding to that with, there's no excuses and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. The, oh God, using the word grounded feels so passe. Um, but no, yeah, absolutely. It. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that's probably very easily, very, very easily the biggest lesson that I gained from pushing myself. This cat is just going wild. We're going to start knocking things off of this countertop. Dude, here. you want to you wanna trade? She's biting my toes and the, and the, <laughs> the uh, uh, leg of the table. She's finally just stopped long <laughs> enough to, to not be biting something actively at the moment. Let me tell you a quick story. Just let me, this is a trip. I'm, I'm laying on the couch because my wife and I have been trading. It's like having a baby. We've been trading turns, sleeping on the couch out yeah. by where the dog has her little area. So she doesn't just, you know, have a lot of anxiety through the night. I'm sleeping out here. I have a dream. A cat, not unlike the cat that's on your table there. A big, healthy, feral looking, beautiful coat, right? Healthy, strong cat is in my dreams. And this cat is showing me that she will, I, I assume it was a female, but it's like the old like cartoon representation of cats, right? All cats are female, all dogs are, are male, right? Isn't that the, so yeah. I, so this cat is telling me, uh, she'll protect our dog, Sage. And like showing me that like they're walking together, you know, and there's birds of prey and so forth. And she's like, got her, you know? And this, I'm having this dream, okay? Uh, I wake up and I hear meowing and I go to the front door of our apartment. I open the door and what is standing right there in the front of the door waiting to, to kind of be, be shown the, the puppy, but a, a large, I mean, you know, 20 pound, maybe 20 plus pound cat, you know, healthy, feral, no, no collar, you know, you know how cats are super present, right? Um, yeah. And I like knew in my heart, like I need to let them, I need to, I need to present my dog to this animal. I need to like yeah. honor her, you know, I need to say, you know, here's our baby, like, thank you for your protection. And uh, that just tripped me out. Like, 
I think that what I'm getting at in saying this is Sorry, I, I reckon, you with all the cat. That's okay. That's the okay. Cat just muted you. <laughs> okay. She 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 feels it. Uh, I'm just saying in so many words what I believe to be true, right? To 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 um to risk the word belief, right? What I what I find to be true in my experience that there are things that exist outside of my perception and those things are intoxicating to me because they break down my ego and my and my love of my own intellect and and my ideas of myself and so forth that that can be confidence building but also delusional and one of those things as we've said is as i've said is is my relationship with outdoor you know sports uh I think that we've made the point fairly that one of those things is working with the land. I think that one of those things is having relationships with people, right? We can lie to ourselves all we want, or we can try to manipulate people all we want. At the end of the day, relationships are relationships and, and what exists between people is, is, is something true and real. Um, another thing of that is, is um, and, I, and I don't like this term because I just think it's weird, but, but animal husbandry, uh, and, and, and being able to have a relationship with, with animals because cats are just on another plane, right? They're on another wavelength. Um, yeah. And I find that to be extremely calming for me to be around cats. Uh, Mark Twain said, any friend of cats is a friend of mine. I didn't get what that <laughs> meant until I spent a little bit of time with cats. Cats shoot you straight. You know, a dog will back your play if you feed it. Cat doesn't give a fuck. A cat, a cat's gonna get right. And and yeah, man. Like I, I wonder if you have had a similar revelatory experience because I, I have many times iterated. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you another quick story, uh, if you don't mind. Um, no, uh, uh, yeah. uh, I've had two or more but I'll just tell you two quick anecdotes, experiences in the ocean that have absolutely framed my worldview. One was sitting out at three mile point break with a friend, with a, with a surfing buddy at the time. And we're, you know, way out, you know, hundreds of meters out. It would have taken, you know, 10 minutes to paddle in, right? Good, good swell. We're waiting for a set. You know, there's nobody else in the water and uh, something brushes my leg and a dorsal fin rises. And my buddy is sitting right next to me and he tries to say Devin and he goes, and we're both just terrified. We're both terrified, okay? And it was two large, what I believe to be bottlenose dolphins. I mean, I know they were dolphins, but I don't know exactly what species. And the way that dolphins in the wild move is something that I can communicate with my arm, but to articulate it effectively is a challenge. They they move in a way where there's zero wasted energy, okay? You're talking about the definition of grace. And yeah. twice other, so, so three times total. Another time I was on the dog beach in Santa Cruz and a uh, juvenile, a baby humpback whale was within 50 feet of the, of the coast. And this is a cove, so it had already come in and everybody on the beach stopped, just stopped and just looked. Yeah in awe okay 
in awe. And then a a third time that I've had the same experience was scuba diving off of the um, back wall of Molokini Crater, which is off of Maui. And Molokini Crater is this beautiful crescent moon dive destination. And a lot of people go into the crater to do snorkeling and diving, but you can do a drift dive on the back wall of the crater and they drop you and you you, you drift in the current and then they pick you up, they they motor around and you just kind of, you know, you save your energy. We were floating towards a giant manta ray. And I mean, this thing, I'm not exaggerating, was 15 foot wing tip to wing tip. Giant giant animal. And and it was filter feeding. So it was moving its, its wings in, in perfect, you feel me, like perfect communion with the water such that it wasn't moving in the water column and it wasn't allowing all the, all the um, particulate and, and you know, little animals to, to flow into its mouth. Okay, so this is, the, this is my point. I've had many times in my life, and almost to a fault, uh, because I'm kind of an anxious, nervous personality type, I, I certainly have have had many bouts of mania in my life, which is an awesome feeling, right? But it's something that you got to control. Uh, I tell myself to be oh, I love it. Okay, so yeah, that's yeah. a that's a sympathetic nervous system over activity, right? The the, the serotonin, the epinephrine, the norepinephrine, and the dopamine are all super high, right? All of those neurotransmitters are are pinging, okay? And that's that fight or flight. And I've had that many times, whether it's you know this or that or the other thing that triggers that. Those, the, 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 the things that I've just mentioned, okay, from outdoor sports to working with the land to cats to the, to the experiences that I've mentioned in an anecdote, give me the opposite feeling. They activate my parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, the, the, um, the chill, and I forget what the other, there's other ways of, of, of speaking to the parasympathetic, right? The, but the, yeah. the, the calm. That feeling to me is so meaningful in the way that like mania shows the highest of heights of like, I can write a fucking book in two minutes, just give me a pen, you know? The feeling of awe that that activation of the other side of the, of the, of the you know, innate neurology that, that we all have, that I've had the experience of very, very, very poignantly has given a great deal of meaning to my life. And I am curious if you have, have had any kind of similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, my, oh man. Yeah. To, to, not to, let's see how many antidotal anecdotal stories I can, I can navigate around, but, Every time I every time I have put myself into a place of communion with 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 anything not familiar to me, like I've been in places of communion with other humans, and that's a very special thing. And that can be on either side of that scale, of course. You know, you can have I've got friends that make me manic. I've got friends that that call me right down. You know, I've got you know. I've got the Indicas, I've got the Sativas. Um, but, but every single time I've, I've taken it upon me to commune with another species, I've always, always came away from it with so much more 
just general general like an under an understanding uh, of like the direct like the direct felt presence of another being who operates on an entirely different frequency than us is truly one of the most powerful introspective tools we have so uh I'll just I'll, I'll just rattle off. I won't go into the details too much because some of them are somewhat long stories, albeit awesome, but very long stories. Um, but one time I was driving through South Dakota and there's a beautiful park called the Badlands of South Dakota. It's this huge, like, just layer and layer and layer of strata that's been eroded away over time. And it's, you know, it's, just these steep, steep ravines, really, really rugged, rugged area. And I was driving through and it was getting kind of late. I knew I had to stop at some point and, um, you know, catch some Z's. So I drove into this national park, um, pretty, pretty relaxed on uh, security measures in South Dakota, pretty free, pretty free state. Um, you could just park somewhere and camp it up and nobody gives a shit. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I um, I went out with my with my with my minimal kit. I went out with my three quarter pad, a wool blanket, and an inflatable pillow. Um, and I went out onto this knife ridge, um, like a little a little um, a little offshoot of this knife ridge, and I was able to get within fifteen feet of a family of bighorn sheep. Wow like mountain mountain goats sorry should i say mountain goats um who were quite weary of me but weren't necessarily too bothered and i just hung out for an hour and a half and just observed and wrote down in my journal and just kind of chewed the fat of the space and took in the scenery and kind of like got a bit mountain goaty, you know, like, like thought, thought of their lives and tried to, you know, like looked at the surroundings and seeing what they were eating and seeing what, you know, how they acted within their natural ecosystem. And I actually ended up getting within a couple meters of this mama and, and her and her baby and her kid um, and ended up sleeping out there with them for three and a half hours four hours until dawn break and i was a couple meters away from them and just waking up next to them and they were right there and you know as soon as they saw that i was up they got up you know and and the kids started feeding and and they were sus of me but they felt a deeper understanding that i clearly was not there to harm them and i was just there as an observer which is something I've noticed going into the wilderness, like deer know whether you've got a rifle and bow on you or whether you've got a camera on you. Like, like animals have that innate sense and you get much, much closer to animals when you are traveling through the wilderness with that intention. Um, a couple of really good examples of that is, um, <laughs> is a, a deer that came up to me in Yosemite of course, it's Yosemite, so he's probably pretty used to humans, anyways. Um, but this another mom, another mom with with a doe, um, and I've got some really great 
video of it. Um, she just came right up to me and she allowed me to commune with her. And, and I, you know, I, I sat in that contemplative silence and I, I came down to her frequency. I, and, and I don't say that as in like, I was feeling something. I said that, I say that in like the, the, the cognitive understanding and trying to, trying to really get a feel for how their brains might work using what knowledge I have, you know, I have gained to, to, to action that sort of felt presence to try to understand, to, to like, you, you know, that, that empathetic response to the situation that's, that's amplified even more by being in that situation, by fulfilling, by filling that niche of space and time as those animals, you know, which has led me to see, especially in Australia, has led me to see some wild, wild, and, and truly, truly endangered species um, from my, my own personal drive to get out there and, and be with those animals um, and putting in the time as well. Um, and it's funny because some of them are actually nearly a manic interaction. Like a koala walked past my tent a few months ago and I heard it breaking branches on the, on the forest floor. I'm like, that's not a bandicoot. That's not a possum. Like that's a bigger mammal. That's clearly a larger mammal walking. And it was so close to my head. It was so loud that I actually, mind you, I, um, I was under the influence of some Pandolia cyanescence mushrooms that I had found earlier in the day. Um, and, and I was, under such a confusion from the noise and from my own um, tracking knowledge of, of, of what makes what noises, that I thought it might have been a human at first. So I, I went, hello? <laughs> Mind you, dumb thing to do, because definitely wasn't a human. They would have, like, literally right next to my ear, they would have said something coming up. So I come out, and there's this, just this koala, just, like, walking past my platform. And, you know, like, I couldn't help but go manic. I couldn't help but get excited. I, you know, I started taking the video and I started talking to him. I'm like, hey, dude, sorry to like, you know, sorry to like interrupt, man, but like, <laughs> you, you gotta really follow me, but. <laughs> like, but then other times where I, I've gone up this, so we've got a creek at the bottom of our property, Trania Creek, that goes up into Nightcap National Park. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site that's been protected. Wow. Um, from from any further logging, any further. Uh, it's called damage. Trinity Trinity Creek. Um, uh, Terrania Creek. Terrania Creek. Yeah, um, and um, I drove up into the national park a little bit and was walking the upper the, the upper estuaries of of Terrania, and um, I came across uh, a handful of platypus on the walk. Huh. each time and each time i'd come into a new hole after a bit of a rapid i'd come up and you have to be really really quiet and really unobtrusive at least that's what everybody's told me for searching out platypus but each time i'd come up to a hole and i would come up while the platypus was was above the water not down in the detritus searching for worms or whatever they're eating 
Um, and each time they acknowledged me, acknowledged me, flip, you know, slapped their tail, went under, you know, went to the other side of the pool, but then came back up and would stay over there for, for, you know, three, four, five, ten minutes. And then like, you know, start navigating through the pool and hunting for their food and just relaxing. Um, and, and like, and that, that connection was, was one that really, really brought me down mostly because I was trying to calm myself within the situation to try to keep in communion and try not to like push them away. I don't want to displace. I want to try to connect. That's awesome. Um, yeah. One of the I, things, I to, go I ahead. I'm sorry. Weird way of just completely um, taking the question somewhat kind of answering it and then just like going on this tangent <laughs> i'm not i'm not writing a book report man there's no there's no uh required content i'm i'm excited to hear your experience i i was gonna say one of the 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 things that frustrates me that i see when evaluating disparate bodies of knowledge which is one of the reasons why I'm excited to, to frame my pursuit with, with learning from folks like yourself as the edge of knowledge is that we can talk about vibration and communion and, and commun you know, communicating with animals and be very serious. And we, we're, we are being serious. Yeah, and, then I'm and then I'm aware of a whole other sect of people I, I, I think, I can't speak for anybody else, but there's this idea that the, the concepts of vibration or, or communion or the religious sensibility in, in, inside of which the sacrament of communion is, is, is foundational and so forth, like is all woo-woo. But, but one can absolutely build a structure of scientific, that is to say experimental, justification for these things in terms of the, 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 the brainwave states, right? The alpha, beta, gamma, delta brainwave states that we have that we can measure and so forth. So I guess I'm frustrated that the, the, the stuff that we're speaking to is less mainstream than I would like because it's often scoffed at from a place of ignorance of the breadth of, of science, that, of, of nuance is a good way of saying it. Right, it gets misrepresented. Um, uh, okay, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the fires. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. This is such a fun wormhole. This is um, – I so we had a fire in Nightcap National Park um, that is of such fascination. Um, honestly, honestly interesting stuff going on there. Um, started by lightning strikes, um, as most natural fires are, um, really, really somewhat frightening because it's, it's rainforest is Gondwanan rainforest from back when Gondwana land was a thing, whether that's pre or post Pangea, it's rainforest that Good for question. 230 million years has gone unchanged. Wow. Wow. Or, or longer, 350 million years. So it's like the species genetically more fall, uh, like, you know. I hear more, you. 
morphologically? Yeah, actually, I think that's what I think that's the one I was going for. Um, are are identical. You can go to fossil records found in Patagonia that that had you know that had remnant forests, eucalypt forests. Like there's 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 fossils of eucalypts in right. Patagonia. I hear you. You know, and Antarctica, and you know, back when back when all of this stuff was. Um, all one, all one landmass. So we've got these rainforests that it's not within their ecology to burn, and we have fires, rampant, rampant fires going through areas of rainforest. Um, there's much more nuance to it than that, and I can put you on, and and whoever's listening, I can put them on. We put in a link. Um, yeah, please. Um, really, really fascinating talk by um, I believe his name's Richard or Robert, or Richard, no, Brian, no. Anyways, Sammy, Dr. Slappy, Samson. <laughs> <laughs> I was way off. Dr. Dr. Kuiman. Yeah. Let's call him Dr. Kuiman. Okay. Um, who is an ecologist who studied the Gondwana rainforest quite, you know, his, he's from Nimbin really really engaged really knowledgeable guy who came and gave a talk at um Tunnable Creek Community which is one of the oldest um communities in Australia um back you know back in the land care movement of the 60s you know a whole bunch of families splintered off about bought a thousand acres and started this community um so you know a whole bunch of a whole bunch of old hippies um and i yeah. actually got for those called not, not not to interrupt you real quick for those that don't know yeah. nimbin is a very special place and i imagine the surrounding area is a very special place in terms of cultural and um ecological i imagine significance for the greater australia is that a fair thing to say yeah oh absolutely it's the it's the antithesis of modern culture you know it's the it's the hate ashbury of of australia it's it's very much it's very much um right a holdout of more holistic values huh more more um connected to a degree uh, you know yeah is that is that fair not to interrupt you, though. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, to a degree. There's definitely, uh, there's definitely, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, that that shift, that mental shift, that is really prevalent in the area. That is very counter to the culture. Very production over consumption. Um, at least, even in just values. Even if people aren't living that perfectly. Even just in values. Even just in implied cultural norms within the area you know you'd be hard pressed to find anybody without chickens in their backyard you know you'd be hard pressed to find anybody without a mango tree you know like it's you know these basic tenants are definitely pretty well covered within the area um so tunnable creek the community in which this talk was given in their main hall actually had this fire come up to their community um, I got called in one of the nights to help hold the fire line. Um, while I don't have professional wildland fire experience, um, you know, I have the authority of my 10 friends who do and my time spent in, you know, in the mitigation of, of, of um, 
you know, the mitigation of, of, of fire hazards, say at Homewood Resort in my work there, or the time spent with all my friends who have that knowledge as well and, and have been willing to share it with me and have been willing to kind of chew through that fat. Um, so I, I, so with that knowledge, I, I had volunteered, was asked to and volunteered to um, help them hold the fire line for a couple That's months. Awesome. Um, so that was my connection there, and that's how I'd heard about this talk. Um, but it, it was it, it's well worth the time. It's about an hour hour long, and in reality, rainforests don't burn. So the rainforest itself, any time that the fire came across, say these ridge top or upper slope eucalypt forests, which have a fire ecology innately built in to their you know to their living system every single time that fire would come ripping across those eucalypts as soon as it would hit a wall of rainforest it would drop to a forest floor fire and, and it would only go in so many meters you know it always drop out always drop out um, and there's quite a bit of really fascinating ecological knowledge held within that um, just to save everybody's time and like how and that takes place. Was that? I say just like how that takes place. When you mean there's a lot of knowledge, like like how that occurs. Is that is that what you're speaking to? Yeah, or the the scientific basis for why certain plants hold certain ecologies um, uh, that that lend themselves to say burning and not burning you know say the well i mean i know i know that certain trees only released their uh their seeds if if they uh are in the presence of of extreme heat i've heard that yeah, many uh, not many but yeah, yeah absolutely redwoods some pines um what, what do we got here the the eucalypt of course classic classic fire ecology is the eucalypts forest of course, we're past that point of management where we, we have to try to suppress the fires because a lot of this stuff being unmanaged because we don't have that indigenous presence of, of working right. the land and, and stewarding those processes, right. whether that's cold burning or whether that's selective logging or whether that's, you know, however that looks in today's modern context, we haven't been doing that. So we either need to catch up or we either need to suppress. Um, for, for me, a lot of that mitigation work looks like understanding and, and gaining that ecological knowledge for a rainforest ecology or a deciduous based forestry system where I know I've got a fire break built out of trees, which is a crazy thing. You can build a fire break out of trees. Huh. Right, trees so, that won't burn, huh? It, trees that trees that won't burn trees that actually go as far as to extinguishing flames wow wow yeah well, so so of so, course the go ahead the, i'm sorry the eucalypts, the eucalypts the pines the cedars all of these things that have the fire ecology have extremely volatile aromatics uh, in them and that's part of their interaction within the fire ecology. Like they feed into it by that. That's interesting. Um, but say you get into the rainforest, 
ecology, you get into the cool temperate ecology of deciduous trees. Say you get like willows and poplars and even mulberries and like any, any tree that's deciduous, any tree that has that softer leaf that falls off from the, you know, that, that, that holds quite a bit of moisture within the leaves. Right. That will actively fight a fire. And it's, it's, I mean, I've heard a few firsthand accounts and I have the knowledge to say that this is something that's extremely valuable and something that's extremely right. fascinating. It acts through transpro evaporation, which is the evaporation coming out of the tree as it breathes and lives. Right. Through that transpro evaporation, as these trees heat up through the fire, it steams off through the leaves. So that air, that the water goes into the air and helps dampen the fire. But then as it's pulling that water out of the leaves with the heat, the biotic pump of the tree, a tree works on suction. Nothing's right, pushing on a tree. Everything's pulling on a tree. Uh, it actually pulls two or three times more moisture out of the soil and into the air. Wow. So the leaves don't just go and, 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 and that's that. The leaves go and then continue to go and can, wow. and can literally, I've seen photos of it, willow, willow plantings along a riparian area that stopped a brush fire and like a uh, stopped uh, a, a grass fire in its place. Grass fire, the size of the fuel really dictates the heat of the fire. So a grass fire with that small fuel burns so hot. And for it to not jump to the next set of fuel, which is of course a small fuel that can light so easily, just because of a, just because of a line of willows pumping pumping their moisture, wow. throwing that water out. What, what have you seen as far as the, the um, results of what, you know, the whole world was talking about, what, three, four months ago? I don't know exactly. Uh, when when the, the, the huge fires were happening. Mm -hmm. Like, have, have, you, have you seen the results of that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have. I don't know. Unfortunately, I can't, I can't speak to how much effect it's having on people um, as far as understanding the seriousness of our situation, the ecological crises that, that precipitates a fire in, you know, <laughs> in, you know, relatively pristine rainforest or within the area of, of that at least, you know, a place that typically gets like 1500 millimeters of, of rain a year. Um, so is that, is that then taking kind of listening to what you're saying? It seems like one of the, because what, what I was seeing from the outside is that the big story was that there was a huge amount of land burning. But what I'm hearing from you is that more specifically places that never burn were burning. Yeah. Is that, so yeah. that seems to be, that seems to be a point worthy of making that not only was this a widespread giant country wildfire and i don't know what, what was it six months ago seven months ago eight months ago it was before the whole COVID thing but it was this year and it was a big deal um so 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 also six months yeah something like that so yeah. so you're saying you're 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 seeing that this this fire that took place that was so devastating you know ravaged places that haven't 
historically, as far as even the fossil record is concerned, ever burned. Um, and you're saying in, so, in some, some sort of like ominous tone that like you're not even, and, and you're somebody who's educated on the subject and practiced on the subject, not even really aware of, of kind of what, it, what that means. Like that, that's kind of heavy to hear. Because if you don't, I fucking certainly don't, you know? That's for sure. That's for sure. You know, we, wow. we're coming, we're coming up to, to some of these, these messages that, that, I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot like the saying that if you don't, if you don't, you know, if you don't change your direction, you're very likely to end up where you're heading. Huh. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think we all kind of feel where we're heading, huh? As a, as a, as a species, as a society. That's, yeah, that feeling. Feeling is so important. Feeling is so important. The, the vul- the feeling vulnerable is so crucial. That, that, is, that is part of what's going to, part of what's going to make the change. If people can get in contact with their own internal alchemist, and and feel and okay. feel that and feel feel it feel it but then understand that they can do nothing with that lead until they transform it to gold until they put that spin on and that's like for me one of the biggest things with permaculture is one of the main tenets is the problem is the solution whether it's there that's to teach you something whether it's there to you know whether it's there to do something for you that you don't you know that's a huge that's a huge part of it very very big part of it um, but that despair is not unwarranted. But it's not as bad as, you know, it's tough because all of this is, is spun by, by any sort of media. The attention economy really does dictate how bad or how, how, how good these things are. I like the phrase that you just used, the attention economy, because I've argued within groups of people you know, debated, had dialogue to the effect of saying that be aware of the game that's being played. And the game that's being played in the media is clicks, right? I mean, that's, they're, they're, they're fighting for ad dollars. It's very, it's very objectively sim- simple. And that creates what you call, uh, and I think that's brilliant, the attention, what did you call it? The attention economy? The attention economy. Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. take credit for that, but. No, I like that a lot. I don't know where you heard that, but I think that's very, very poignant. Um, and I want to speak to something you said a moment ago because I really think it's, it, that it's brilliant, and that is connecting. And it's it, you know it's 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 phrasing that I've not used, but I think I I feel what you're speaking to, and this idea of the internal alchemist connecting with our own feeling, sensing self at once allows us to you know do good in the world and and be a steward of an environment and you know be a part of the the solution if you will but i think that it does another thing as well worthy of being spoken to and that is a person who's in touch with with their internal landscape right and however you get there whether it's being around an animal that you know takes you out of yourself or or connecting with the land grounding yourself you know whether it's you know what have you however you get there i think the the initiated if you like, are people that are really, really hard to manipulate. I think, I think doing that, do, you know, that, that what, you, what you kind of metaphorically represent with the internal alchemist is the ability to not be a sheep, 
you know, not, not be a consumer, a participant passively in this attention economy. And I speak to this passionately because I've undergone that process in my own psyche over the last decade or two. And, you know, it's, it's a struggle every day. It's not like I'm sitting here preaching, but I'm telling you that I'm, I'm not a, a, a joiner. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a follower to, to, a, to a great degree because of that. And I, I honor that part of myself and I honor it in everybody else, yourself included, obviously, because I think that that's a really powerful process to undergo and it's terrifying and there's not a real roadmap, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a very personal process. It's, it's something that, that takes going into the unknown. And I think that we all come out the other side of it, you know, and I think it's something that's, that's represented in every great hero's journey. You know, you go into the cave, right? You go into the deep sea, you know, you go into the dark forest, right? It's always, it's always a place of, of, of the unknown and, and the, the, the terrible. And you come out with the redemptive truth, right? You come out with the, with the sword of Excalibur or the philosopher's stone or the cup of Christ. You, you know, it's all the same story. And, and when you have that, it's, it's a thing, it's a, it's a capacity, it's a faculty that you can use to save the kingdom. I mean, it's, it's, it's of no less importance than that. It's, it's, it's the saving grace for your community. And it's interesting to hear you speak about it in your own metaphorical terms that immediately I, I understand on a deep level and we can use different words to get there and we can use different experiences to get there and yet we're still just two human consciousness is I would argue you know part of a, a superordinate consciousness you know a, you know we're, we're two eyes right we're two points of the same of the same function right the same thing is happening the the folding of of all that is inside of us right and and one of the things that trips me out on this train of thought is we're not islands, right? They say no man is an island. We're not, we're not um, finite points in time and space. We're continuations of our genetic material that hasn't stopped, right? We, we were birthed inside of our mothers and, and brought out while, while our mothers were still alive. So this idea that we are continuations of life, in, in, you know, eternal, right? And I think that reconnecting with that fact and that, that innate knowingness and that receptivity and that vulnerability that, that is not a weakness, right? It's a strength. It's a, it's a connection with what's happening outside of us uh, is what I think can turn the tide from a dominator culture to a, a sentient culture, right? A culture in which every node, every personage is aware and relying upon their own faculties, you know, and I'll leave, I'll, I'll leave the, the diatribe with this and put it to you. One of the things that I've been thinking through over the past few years that, so, so as an aside to this point, I get knowledge in like balls of light. Like I download like awareness and then it takes me a long time to, 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 to piecemeal it out into logic chains so that I can articulate it effectively. You feel me? Like, like when, you're, when you have a profound experience, you just get a lot of wisdom. And then it's like, fuck, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta integrate all that, right? Well, one of those things that came to me a while ago is the intrigue and, and respect and beauty and love that I have out of, out of 
recognition of profundity for people that are spontaneous and creative and thoughtful and animated by their own, you know, source energy, their own connection with what is real. And by, and by, by, by abstraction and, and, and equally so, I am terrified. I am like, I am body, body protective from people that are system thinkers, people that, that are representations of bodies of knowledge that they have been sterilely handed from past exploratory behavior that may not be invalid, but is something that is sterile and, and sanitized and is not representative of their own exploratory behavior. And we could put it back to the matrix, agents of the matrix, if you will, people that will uphold a system at, at the risk of their own well-being and the well-being of everybody around them. And so that's something that I want to put to you in fairness of like, what do you think? Yeah. So I think, I think, I think, um, like a lot of my opinions on this stuff is a lot of my viewpoints, should I say, definitely have been pretty heavily influenced by Charles Eisenstein. Have you listened to any of his talks, read any of his books? I have not, but what I, what I want you to do is when we get off this call, please do provide me with some links and I'll put them in the, in the show notes um, because I am very interested in, in learning. So Charles Eisenstein. And then you had yeah. mentioned so Dr. Kumian or something like this. Kumian, K-O-O-Y-M-A-N, I think. Got it. But I, I'd have to find I'd have to find that talk. It shouldn't be too far into the rabbit hole, but I should be able to find it. Yeah, I've please. actually got to send it to the to the local uh, fire brigade chief here. I ran into him the other day, and I was telling him about it. He sounded really fascinated, um, but I just haven't sent it through to him yet. Huh. Uh, but so go go on. I apologize. Somebody just texted me. I'm just telling him I'll call him later. Uh, you're you're you you're saying that this um, Charles Eisenstein has has had has framed your thinking around this idea in in so in in some some such way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, on a slightly on a slightly. Like uh, I'll pull it back one step and just just speak about the systems thinking, and speak about that that rigidity that that rigidity that you're talking about. Um, and I think there's something really important there to discern for systems thinking where it's it's just that switch, it's that flip switch, whether it's whole systems thinking or whether or whether it's just systems thinking, whether you're sure. trying to sit there. And you're trying to, you know, dissect something further, or whether you're trying to pull back and look at something as 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 a part of a greater whole. I think that's extremely critical because I I think whole systems thinking and that right. analytical science of figuring out the right. parts to a whole and 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 the and the cogs that run all of that is like super critical, and that's. For me, that's a large part of my design because you have to get all those cogs together in a way that functions in a way that's regenerative. Um, so I, I um, that that's what led me on to Charles Charles Eisenstein because he speaks to that quite deeply. He um, he's he's mental, man. Like I honestly couldn't describe him in a way that that like wouldn't make it sound like I just have a man crush on him. Like his mind is a beautiful place. 
like there's there's genuine there's genuine beauty within his mind he's able to envision the world in a way that makes sense for everybody and then is able to articulate that in a way oh bro we we you're 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 frozen again i'm gonna pause it let's see if you come back all right hey. welcome back all right hey. uh, free we'll freeze twice reanimate three times <laughs> so you're, you're oh, talking man. about charles eisenstein and you gave him an incredible recommendation in calling his mind a beautiful place and talking that he can see the world in such a way where everybody has a place and articulate that and then like effectively or in a way that is digestible or i don't know what you were going to say yeah he's able to synthesize this this like palpable reality which is which is genuinely well grounded in ecological knowledge he's he's very knowledgeable when it comes to permaculture he's really knowledgeable knowledgeable when it comes to these things and, and, and a lot of what he speaks to is on the distance it's in the horizon you know it's 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 really it's really really palpable it's really inspiring too of course because when when he transcripts that that future reality and and is able to is able to you know kind of feed it feed it india put it into your mind a little bit you can really really chew on that cud for a long time like you can really really get to that fat and get some good nutrient out of it and really really work on it and it's like it's like it's like most things as you know is, is the more time you to take to digest that the more value you get out of it and that's the sign that's the sign of something that's truly of value something that has intrinsic worth you know is is, right. is the more time you take on it it doesn't you know degrade like that happy meal toy you know you, you don't use right. it 20 times and it falls apart it's something that each time you revisit it that spiral gets deeper you know every single right. time you revisit it you shed a layer off of your own persona that says, oh, we're all fucked. You know, every single time I listen to Charles Eisenstein or every single time I revisit something that he has shown, something he's shown a light on for me, I come to it and it really, it really like really pushes that for me. Really. You That's know. awesome. Yeah. There's a guy, Jacques Fresco, and he passed away recently and he was a futurist and engineer and he had really beautiful, um, if, I, if I do say so myself, uh, visions of um, ways of, he, he was more of like a civil engineer, but he, yeah. brought, he brought kind of concepts like sustainability and and holistic thinking into those realms. So I'll put a link uh, to his, he, he had a thing called the Venus Project and yeah. it was very interesting. So I guess what we can say is there are people out there that we're all connected to, to whatever degree we choose to be, that are hopeful, huh? In the face of environmental catastrophe and these, you know, these, this idea of apocalypse that, that you know, is it may, may be seen in positive light as the lifting of, of you know false thinking, like like you'd said a moment ago, um, there are people that that give us hope, 
Huh? Yeah. Yeah, there's always the helpers. And I forget who, I forget, I actually don't even know the full quote necessarily, but um, I forget. Yeah, I heard that. that. Mr. Rogers. Was it? Yeah. Look for helpers. There's always helpers. His mother told him that. Yeah. And And then you'll know that there's hope. Yeah. And, and I, I find it really like, for me, I find my, my heart operates the best when I can become that. And that's why I love education so much. That's why I see, you know, this permaculture being, this permaculture education, you know, like the spreading this knowledge and, and spreading this hope to be of, of the highest importance because that allows me to be a helper. And right. we don't necessarily always get to help. Like I, you know, I, I, I have been selfish for most of my adult life. You know what I mean? I have been, you know, so self-absorbed, not, not necessarily always consciously, of course. Um, but, but to be able to make that shift and, and it helps facilitate the shift within our own mind. You know, it, it helps facilitate that transition from instead of just consuming other people's time, instead of consuming other people's resources, instead of consuming, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I am gifted with the ability to reinvest, to, to give back in. And, and that, that shift from consumption to production is, is, is a big part of it, huge part of it. Well, that's wonderful. Who, who, who else has been a helper to you? Charles Eisenstein being one, uh, the gentleman that, that is, is, is teaching you, I think you mentioned his name is Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff is, Jeff has been a huge teacher. He's, he's, his videos were some of the word, the, what really started to get me into permaculture. Um, so that, that there's a huge connection there for sure. And the time I've been able to spend with him on the farm here, working directly with him and being able to ask him dumb questions and pointing to a plant and being like, what's, what's the Latin for that one again? Like, I, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know it's a cassia, but which cassia is it? You know, I know it's a, you know, and being able to do that has been really, really valuable, really valuable. Um, Somebody that you you actually might might know as well. He had a huge impact on me. Is uh, Mark Martin Gibson? I do not know Martin Gibson. No, not by name. Oh, really? Do you know the name? I mean uh, Gibson guitars and Martin guitars, but that's all that I, <laughs> that that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, no worries. He was uh, he was one of the Homewood guys for, for okay. quite a few years. Don't know if there's any if there's ever any. Um, I might have known him if I if I saw him, dude. I was so locked into my subculture at the time I spent at Homewood, uh, you know, fighting for a seat at the table, you know, um, yeah. and it was a real um, growing period of my life uh, to, you know, get to be a competent member of, of the team of which I was a part and, you know, met my wife and, and broke my leg the first year. So I was really, I had the blinders on um, yeah. for, for a large part and I smoked a lot of weed. 
So that kind of limited my life as well, to be honest with you. So no, tell me about Martin Gibson. So he, um, well, he's another, he's another quality, he's a quality, quality guy, um, really quality. But he, in, the, in, in very much the same way that, that through this video conference, we've been able to either synthesize or, or take in different perspectives or different, you know, kind of, kind of talk about, like, like you're saying, talk about these things that are kind of on the edge of our own understanding and can take some of that, like, like verbal soup. Right. You know, that takes a lot of that, like staring into that corner while I'm trying to like, right. Play tongue. Pointing point like, like not to interrupt you, but Bruce Lee said, you know, he's pointing to the moon. And the student goes, well, what's that technique? You know, what are you doing with your finger? And he goes, no, 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 no. Don't look at me. Look at, look at what I'm pointing at. If you focus on the finger, you miss all of the heavenly glory I'm trying to, to point you towards. And I think to speak to what you're saying, when we're at the edge of knowledge, if I can plug my own bullshit, we're, we're allowing ourselves to be a conduit for something greater than us. And I think that that's a really important part of, of dialogue and, and, and conversation. And I think that we, myself included, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers, get stuck in the idea often of I have the answer. I, I am the thing. Look at me. I'm so great. You know, listen to me. As opposed to, to saying something like, I would like to have your ear for a moment while I can try to articulate something that I've been in contact with or I've learned or, or, or allow myself to to be a, 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 a channel that you can tune into, that you can take into your own life. Forget about me, I'm, I'm trying to turn you on to something greater than me, and that is something that gives me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, the, those, those, those self, what is it, the, the, self, the self-feeding situations, there's such a better word for that, but the, those, 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 uh, the, the fountain, the fountain of life, you know, those things in which the more you do, the more, the more you, you, you get back in return, like far, far right. more. The, the return, the right. R, the ROI is high. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. For me, skiing, surfing and conversations, weirdly, uh, just allowing myself to get out of my own way in the presence of somebody else. Like, yeah. And it's hard for me, dude. It's hard for me. Uh, I, my ego gets in the way a lot and I'm learning how to be in touch with something greater than, than what I conceive myself to be. And that is the things that have taught me. And that's why I think talking about Charles Eisenstein and your mentor, uh, uh, Martin Gibson and Jeff, and you know, my experience of, of you know the turning points I've taken in my life. I talked to John uh, yesterday uh, about those things. Like, I think looking at ourselves like we do in a systems way, but with respect to the fact that you're talking about, while there's a lot of value to that, talking about, okay, here's a book of, of a certain set of knowledge, but understanding that that's inside of something that's much greater is, is, a, is, a, is a part of the puzzle not to be left out, right? Like, I, I really like a guy named Rupert Sheldrake, and he had a, have you ever heard of him? I have. The, the, the TED talk he did uh, called The Science Delusion. And this is like a PhD, you know, scientist. And he's sitting there talking about how becoming 
dogmatic in science is, is extremely dangerous. And yeah, it's I religion. It becomes a religion. It becomes yeah. a team. And team science is just as, as devastating as team crusade, you know? Um, oh, bro, you, 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 uh, you um, froze again. Oh, no. All right, we're going to do it again. And we're back. And yeah, break. click. Take four. I don't have a good. I don't have a good prompt for you this time. I can't remember what we were talking about. We, That's all right. Here, we were... uh, just so we don't strain anything, I'll do a few vocal warm ups. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, uh, we were we were talking about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just I was just gonna say that I think it'd be good value if we like say scheduled something weekly, biweekly. I'd love that. It'd be my and pleasure. And just and just bounce around a little bit. Maybe potentially even get my good buddy Jordan Deffenbaugh on the line in South Dakota. That'd be great. He would, Let's do he it. Would, he'd really be vibing and jiving with a lot of what we're talking about. Right on. Right on. I recognize the value of unfiltered dialogue. Uh, and I think that I, I certainly need more of it. And, and by extension, I hope to offer that to, to everybody else. I think that something that I've learned uh, is, you know, um, and I've, 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 I've debated this point. Uh, do, do, you, do you cook for yourself or for the, the restaurant? Do you make something that you believe in or do you try to uh, sell to the market? And while some people may think, you know, pander, you know, go with the trends, be, be what people want right now. I wholly disagree. I say, and because the people that have, have said similarly are people that I respect, Elon Musk for one, um, you know, whatever you think about him, beside the point, I, I believe it to be true. Do something that you like, and at least you got one fan, right? And that's where I'm at. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. I like this. Because I can just be me. If you say something that fires me up, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna go. And (laughs) it makes me feel good. And I don't give a flying motherfuck if nobody ever listens to this because I'm gonna put it out there and maybe they do. And, And my motivation is something that is very personal and I think that that comes through. I think that people will listen to it in the same way that people have made Joe Rogan's podcast the most watched media in the world and he's a fucking dummy you know by he's his a, own he's, a, by he's his own, a thumb with two thumbs as he says yeah right on, yeah by his own admission but but there's <laughs> something powerful in that right there's something powerful in that he's present and he's and he's humble and he's not selling shit aside from his fucking sponsors like he's a real guy you know and while i don't agree with him on a lot of shit he like rides hard for trump i i respect the man you know and i intend to be a person that i respect and this is a part of that. I'm not, I'm not changing what I'm going to say for anybody. And I, I, can, I can look at myself in the mirror because of that. And bro, I, I, I want more because I'm on to something. And it's, I enjoy it. And nobody can take it away from me. You know, thank God that we have this, this infrastructure that, you know, our forefathers have built. My grandfather was a, was a lineman for, for Pacific Bell, you know, like made, made, you know, shit money, but 
you know, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say. And in any industry, in any body of knowledge, you, you learn there's been many, many people who have come and gone before us who have laid the foundation. And I think that being myself, unapologetically, is a part of honoring that. So I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your, your, your candor. I'm, I'm thankful for you being willing to share with, with myself and, and the listeners what you've learned. And let's do it more, man. We'll, we'll put the show notes from what we talked about in, in, yeah. the, the, you know, in, the, in the description. Uh, I'm posting this to YouTube. I just found a, a, a podcast uh, hosting platform called Anchor uh, that then propagates to like Google and Spotify and all these other things. So we're going to get these conversations out there. And it's my honor to have as many as you're willing to have with me. And, you know, much love, more power to you. You know, enjoy yourself. Uh, you know, you're in a beautiful place. And uh, yeah, man, let's let's keep it rolling. Yeah, sounds good, man. Sounds good. Yeah, I um, super quick wanted to touch on that. Standing on the sh shoulders of giants, one of the things that gives me the most um, most calm when things are really trying is to understand that for us to be here, we come from a very, very long line of survivors. Like, we come from literal generation after generation after generation after generation of, 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 of evolution as fast paced as it is at times to, to be here right now. Like, we've got this. Like, no matter how dire the media is trying to tell us it is, no matter how dire everybody's been decreased into thinking we are it's we're fine we'll figure like we're gonna figure this out we can do it yeah here's yeah, the trip we we are them you feel me yeah we're not we're not we're not different from them they're that their blood is our blood their their genetic material is our, our genetic material we we are one you know and and in a real way we're, we're still here, man. We're still fighting. We're still going to make this work. So I feel it. And, you know, more power to you, man. I, I really appreciate the, the candor and the dialogue. So uh, until next time. Yeah, until next time, I'll start, I'll start doing some Googling to get some of those resources together to send your way. Please do. So we'll put, we'll put it in for the listeners. Right on, brother. Peace out. Awesome. Have a